So, I was just thinking of this. So, Jim, what what's God's favorite food? Must be leftovers, right? <laughs> All right. Well, that was horrible. All right. Let's get. All right. So, um, I've shared with you before that. No, no, no. Um, so I, I've shared with you before that I come from a construction family. We do. We um, since I was about eight years old is when I started, um, and twelve when I was starting my apprenticeship, and so I did it for up until when I moved down here. And the one thing my dad always told me was never get into construction um, because it just kills you. And so that was one of the reasons why I went to college is because I didn't want to go into construction because I did it all every single summer on the weekends all the time. It was just horrible. But one of the fun things is when I started working with my dad a lot we, and I was on a crew with them and other people, um, we had a lot of fun doing it. And I always loved when I go back home, um, back to where my parents live, and driving up there, and I can point out things. I did that. In fact, this last time when I was up there, there's a uh, an office building that was right there, and it was the last one I did on my way to go see my dad in the hospital. It was right there, and I'm like, I did that. And I, I don't know who I told. I, I was like, I, oh, it was my mom. I was like, we did that. That was the last job I worked on. And um, so that's really fun to remember. But one of the things I hated about the job was that when we would get plans, um, and I, my dad showed me how to read plans and do all these things, so after a while, he would make me read the plans and try to figure things out. Well, one of the things I quickly learned was what, what is on the plans isn't necessarily what is to be done. Um, architects are really inventive, not so much in what actually needs to happen. Um, and so there's a lot of times when we had to figure things out. I actually shared a story uh, a while back about uh, we had a, we were at this elephant bar in in uh, Stockton, California, and they have this dome, and there was nothing on the plans on how to build the dome. It just says, "And there's a dome." And so we spent the entire uh, I think we were on the job for uh, six weeks, and we spent the entire time just okay, how do we do this dome? And we would figure out different ways of doing the dome, and finally we built the dome. And so it was just one of those things. But one of my favorite stories uh, my dad shared with me happened after I left. It was the next job that they were on. And they were on the third story building. And it was a typical office. And so if you've ever gone into a doctor's office or anything like that, uh, we did metal stud framing. And so we would do all the the walls in there. And so it was a typical office. Uh, they were just building these walls, except for there was one round area. Now, rounds aren't very hard um, because they have these new tracks. Well, they've been around for a long time, but they're tracks that actually makes the rounds. We had that before cut a straight piece of track in order to make it round before, but now they have these nice cool ones. And so it's really easy to do. But on the plans, it had this round, and everything they tried wouldn't give them the correct round in this particular thing. So finally, they tried this after a few days, and they finally called the architect, and they said, how did you get this round? And the architect said, well, if you go back 100 feet, you can draw the line and the round. Now, understand this. This is on the third story. 
and it's 20 feet away from the window. So the architect basically told him, go out 100 feet and get your round. Yeah, how do you do that, right? And this is a, yeah, well, <laughs> um, and so anyway, so they, what they ended up doing was, it was during, okay, so this place, there was cars everywhere because it's an active um, business. And so what they waited for is they had to wait all day. Everyone left. They had to go out into the parking lot, find a place that was 100 feet long with no obstructions, and then make the round, build it, and then take up piece by piece and put it back together. On the, so they had to do this four times because it was a wall and then a soffit. And so they had to build this thing four times. And it's just one of those things that it's like, how do you build something, right, if you don't know what it is to be built, right? And so it's, that's what we're going to be talking about today is this idea of making sure what's being built is being used properly in the right way, okay? So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 4, and we're going to read through the rest of Matthew chapter 4. So we're going to be Matthew 4, starting in verse 12. Um, and remember, during these summer series, we're looking at overarching themes, right? And so you're going to hear some things today where you're like, oh, I probably heard a sermon on that. We're not... We're not looking at particulars, um, and so some of the things that you've heard, we're not going to be talking about today, all right? And I'll, one of those is the Fishers of Men uh, passage that's in here. But let's talk about, real quick, where we're at so far. Because the first seven weeks, we're into our eighth week this week, into Matthew. We're doing really well, right? We're in our fourth chapter. It only took us eight weeks to get here. Um, and so... While we've been talking about this, there's really only one thing so far that we've been talking about, and that's the identity of Jesus, right? If we go back, all the genealogies, all of the, the parallels that we've been talking about, all the, the different parts of it has really been this idea of who is Jesus, what's his identity, and it's through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Matthew has shown us all these moments in Jesus' life to help us understand the identity of who Jesus is. But it's all been, so far, other people talking about Jesus, right? It's, it's the genealogies that talk about who Jesus is. It is the, 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 the magi, right? The, the, the wise men coming in and talking about who Jesus is. It's John proclaiming who Jesus is. It is... It's um, the Father, God the Father, proclaiming who Jesus is, right? It's all these outside people talking about who Jesus is. And then we get into last week where it's then Jesus' identity is challenged, right? It's challenged by the devil. And so this whole, this whole thing is about the identity of Jesus in these first four chapters. Now, it's, it's all about getting us to a point, and that's where we come here. Now, in our first week, I talked about how Matthew is really leaning heavily into the Old Testament. Okay? And one of the things that he leads heavily into is just how he writes his gospel. You can actually take um, the book of Deuteronomy and the book of Matthew and put them side by side, and there's a lot of parallels to it. In fact, the first five chapters of Deuteronomy is, a, is helping you identify who Israel is. And 
Matthew follows that same literary style and says, let me show you through Jesus' life who Jesus is. But then when we come to the end of chapter 4, you get this moment where, okay, now everyone's been talking about who Jesus is, right? They're challenging who Jesus is. That's the devil. But now who is Jesus? And in the rest of chapter 4, it's the first opportunity that we get from Jesus himself to identify himself. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. How does Jesus view himself? So up until now, the identities that we've been given are he's a king like David. He's the Messiah of the Old Testament. He's a parallel prophet like Moses. And he is the unique son of God. Okay, those are the four things, that we, the identity of Jesus that we've been told so far. And so when we go into this next part, be looking for how does Jesus view himself. And this is also going to show us a nutshell, a, a kind of overarching theme for the rest of Matthew. Right? There's a lot of things in here that's going to show us what we're going to be talking about weeks, months, years down the road in Matthew. Okay, So let's read it, and then we'll go through it. Alright, so Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 12. It reads, When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he returned to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Uh, the land of ne ne Nebula, uh, man, I'm always getting this one wrong. Nebulon and land of Nephtali, the way of the sea along the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death. A light has dawned. From the time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James son of Zebedee and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went through Galilee, throughout Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. All right? So we're going to stop right there. And in this, there's a lot going on, and the reason why we're reading it all together is because Matthew writes to be heard. Right? So he writes it so we could hear things. And as we're reading through them, we should start making connections with all of it. All right? And so what I want to do is I want to dissect this into two parts. All right? The first part we're going to call the kingdom message. All right? Called Jesus' message, the kingdom message. However you want to say it, it's the message. All right? And I want to start with verse 17. Because this is a huge verse. Jesus says this. Or it says, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That sentence right there sets the tone for the rest of Matthew. That proclamation, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, sets for the rest of Matthew, 
it's all about this message. All right? So we need to understand what that message means. So let's dissect it. The word repent, all right? that word, people say it's a turning. People say it's a turning, right? It's not just a turning, but it's a complete getting rid of. And so the Greek word here actually means to completely get rid of, completely, so it's a turn, right? But it's not just, I turn, but I get to keep things. No, it's a turn, and you get rid of things. It's a complete repenting. Repenting means to get rid of what you think you know and how you think you should act. It's a total body and mind thing. And so when you get to that point where Jesus says later on in Matthew, where, you say, where someone asks him, what is the greatest commandment? And he says, to love the Lord God with your, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That is what the end result is. What are you repenting from? It's the way you think and the way you act. What you think is right. And then you are moving into what God says we should think. And what God says how we should act. It's a completely taking away. It's saying, I'm never gonna, I don't want that. I want this. So I want to get rid of that. I want that away from me. Now, what is that that we should want? Well, when we get into chapter 5, we'll start seeing that. We're seeing what God wants us to turn to. So I just want us to understand what the repent means at this point. It's just completely saying, I don't want my old life. I want God's life. Okay? That's the repent. All right? It's saying, I'm not a God. I want God to be God. I don't want my thoughts, I want his thoughts. I want my ways, I want his ways. Okay, so that's the repent. Right? The next thing he says, for the kingdom. Now, if you did your homework last week, okay, not the challenge, okay, now I make a distinction between this. I give homework and I give challenges. Challenges are to help you in your spiritual walk. Okay? Homework is so that you can go deeper so when we get to other places, you will have greater insight into what we're talking about. Right? So the homework last week was to go back into Genesis 3 and see how the temptations of Jesus are paralleled to the temptation of Adam and Eve. Okay? To see what's going on and to really look at those two. Because now, it's about the kingdom. Okay, so Jesus says, repent for the kingdom. Okay, well, what's the kingdom? Well, if you go back to Genesis, and you start understanding, like just start reading through Genesis and start looking at it, you'll see a subtext of kingdom. Okay, so God creates. So who is in charge? It's God. He's the king. Okay, but not only that, he calls things by name. That means he has dominion or power over them. What does he do? He creates Adam and Eve. And he calls them by name. He actually just If we get into chapter 2, he just calls Adam by name. But then, what does Adam do? He names the animals. He names Eve. Why? Because he is an administrator. God is the king, but now he has an administrator to do things. And so what does he do? He says, okay, now you can have dominion over things, but who's in charge? So God. And so God is setting up his kingdom. 
And so there's a lot of kingdom imagery within Genesis 1 and 2. And then what happens when we get to Genesis 3? There's a rebellion. And who walks in? It's the king. And what does the king do? He doles out judgment. And he starts with the serpent, and he goes to the woman, and then he goes to the man. Why? This is the order of things. And so he stops, he ends with the one he put in charge. Adam, it's your fault. And he gets the worst of it. You will go out, and you will labor, and you will have to deal with the ground, and you will have to sweat. And he goes after him. And so this kingdom idea, and then we start going further, and you just watch. This kingdom idea continues. And so Jesus coming in and saying, and the kingdom, he's pointing back to Genesis. What's the kingdom? It's Genesis 1 and 2, the perfect creation that God created. And then he says, is at hand. What does that mean? Well, that means, first off, we know that, okay, it's not fully there. Right? It's at hand. That means that it's not totally there. It's just right there. It's at the beginning stages. Okay, why? Well, because there's rebellion. Right? Genesis 3, there's rebellion. So the complete restoration of the kingdom is beginning. So this is what Jesus is saying. This is a complete restoration. So he comes out and he says, repent. For the kingdom is at hand. In other words, it's time to get right because God's coming. The full restoration is happening. Now's the time to get right. And so when you follow Genesis, what happens next? Okay, The first part is the call. This is what Jesus is saying. I'm calling you to repent. calling you to the kingdom. Because it's coming. Okay. In Genesis, if you're following in Genesis, what does God do next? You get the flood of Noah, that's more kingdom stuff. You get the Tower of Babel, that's more kingdom stuff. And then you get to this point in Genesis chapter 12. Anyone know what happens in Genesis chapter 12? It's Abraham. The calling of Abraham. It's really interesting. The first 11 chapters deals with the whole totality of God's kingdom. And then chapter 11 really zeroes in on the people of God. And so what does God do? He calls out Abraham to follow. I will send you to a land. And then the rest of the Bible, the Old Testament, is this understanding of God calling this people to himself, the Israelites. Why? Why? So the restoration of the kingdom can occur. And this is done through Jesus. And so as we're walking through Matthew, we're seeing the play out of salvation history in one moment in time with Jesus. And you can go back and you can see more, and I hope you would, to go back into the first four chapters and really go back into Genesis and see what God's doing in Jesus' life to mirror Israel's. In fact, we talked about this a while back, about God saying, uh, bring Jesus out of Egypt. We talked about this in chapter 2, and how that's a parallel to both Israel 
and to Moses specifically. And so a lot of this imagery is, is built up here. And so Jesus is walking this path, do, following what the Father has set out. Why? Because it's a mirror to what has gone before. So Jesus is showing this is what's going on. I'm here to restore what has happened before. And we actually see this in Revelation chapter 21 and 22. The full restoration. But at this point, it's the beginning stages. And so... You have this, you have the call, now the next point. This next part is calling the people to himself. Jesus is now calling people to himself. And so the first part is the message, now it's the call. Jesus is now calling people. And what's the first thing we see him do? He takes off to Capernaum. Right? Capernaum is a city on the Sea of Galilee. And why does he go to, the, to Capernaum? It's a nice place. It's on the beach, right? Everyone likes to go to the beach. And so Jesus is like, I want to take a vacation. We'll go to Capernaum, get a tan, right? This is why he goes. What? Yeah, pick up some disciples, you know. He goes out there because Capernaum is the understand. Okay, so we have to understand Capernaum just real quick. Capernaum is that place of crossroads. It's a place where Jews and Gentiles actually commerce together. That's a huge thing because Jews didn't really like to deal with Gentiles. In fact, they, would, they wouldn't even go into their houses. You, know, you couldn't invite your friend. The Jew, if you're a Gentile, you invite your friend who's a Jew. You can't say, hey, come to my house. They want to do it. It would make them unclean. But this, this city is a point where they can actually meet together to do commerce. And it's a perfect place to start spreading Jesus' message. And so you have this, this place that's perfect. And not only that, Jesus is fulfilling prophecy by going here. This is a place where the prophet had said that the light would come from. Why? Because that's where he's going. And so Jesus fulfills his place. And as he goes there, what does he do? Peter, Andrew, follow me. And what what do they do? It says, and they did it right away. A, A smaller word, immediately. Wouldn't that be nice if you had kids and they did it immediately? Right? Or guys, wives, I mean, come on, immediately. Sandwich. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I can make that joke. It's Father's Day. I get a pass. Uh, but immediately, right? But no, this, this idea of immediately, right? It's, there's no hesitation. And so immediately, these guys get up and go. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm sitting there and I'm the dad, and I'm like, where are you guys going? We got a job to do, right? It's a greater thing. And then he doesn't stop there. He goes to the sons of Zebedee, follow me. And immediately they came. Jesus is calling a people to himself, just like God had called the Israelites a people to himself. Here's Jesus walking that same salvation road. That same thing that God did, that remnant. God's calling people out and to himself. And here's Jesus calling people out and to himself. And where is he doing it? 
in the midst of a place where his message can get out and both Jews and Gentiles are present. And then what's great is the next part in the, in the passage. It says, and, he, and people start bringing, he started healing people, all diseases, and people from all over were just bringing him all these people to be healed. Okay, so what's Jesus doing? If we're looking at it from a kingdom perspective, what is he doing? He's showing the restoration. Because back then, back before Adam, there was no disease. There was none of this, this paralytic. There's none of this you know, hurt. There's none of this pain. There's none of this suffering. So what is Jesus doing? He's showing what the kingdom means. It's a, it's a healing. It's a taking care of this. Now this is the at hand. The full restoration is in the future. But at hand, people could start understanding this is what it means. This is what the kingdom means. This is what the creation was good when God created it. This is what it looked like. And here's a taste of it. And then what happens? I love just this last part where it says, in verse 25, And great crowds followed him, and then understand all the places from Galilee. That's a nice big area. But then it goes, and the Decapolis. These are Gentile cities. There's ten of them. There's these Gentile cities. There's people, there's Gentiles coming from them. And it says, in Jerusalem, so way down south, from Judea, that whole region down there, and beyond the Jordan. This is all, these are Jews and Gentiles coming to Jesus, and this is the kingdom. And these are just the beginnings of it. And so when we get to chapter 5, we'll start seeing, okay, what, what's kingdom living, and we'll get into all that. What's, it, what's required of humanity, and we'll see what what the real standard, God's standard is. But as we're finishing up in this chapter 4, we need to start seeing that. That this is what we're being called to. And so this people from every nation of the world can enter the kingdom by way of repenting and following Jesus. That's a huge thing. And so we see this. Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then what does he say? Follow me. That's what we is required of humanity. Repent, turn away, say, I don't want this. This is old thoughts, old living. And it's hard because it keeps coming back to us and it's easy to get into it. And, you know, this week, I got to tell you, I was sharing with um, Gabe and Jack earlier. It was not a good week for me, especially at the end, which meant it wasn't a good week for other people. You know, and it was just like, I did not, because I wanted to hold on to that, to anger and things like that. And I, I knew, in fact, I saw Jack one night. He waved to me, and in my head I thought, if I respond to Jack, I'm going to tear him apart. And it is not his fault. So I just ignored him. <laughs> and so I, I told him I was sorry later. But it was, I knew that if I indulged in my old self, then my, that would take hold. And so it says, I don't want that. I want to follow Jesus. And that means I have to sacrifice some things that I want to hold on to. And so just this understanding, what is kingdom? It's a full restoration of God's intended creation. That means I don't get to be God anymore. 
I have to follow the true God. But that means I have to repent. And the thing is, is right now, as Jesus is talking, there's this understanding that if you repent, you can enter the kingdom. Except at the end of Matthew, we get something different. At the end of Matthew, there's this time where Jesus starts talking about the end. And this comes in chapter 26, and he talks about the separating. And you get this clear understanding that there is going to come a point where the restoration happens and the gates of the kingdom will close. And now you can't get in. And so this right now is a message of hope. There's still time. There's still time to get into the kingdom. It's not fully realized yet. It's still at hand, even today. It's still at hand. But there will come a point where the kingdom won't be at hand. It will be fully realized. And then you can't repent. And so we have to... So there's two things here. So we need to start realizing that we need to repent. If we haven't done that yet, if we're sitting and we've been in church our whole lives or, and we haven't repented, we need to do that. That's something that we need to do. God, I, I made myself God and I, I act like I'm a Christian, but I've never repented of my sins. Because the price is paid for on the cross. And all that's required of us is just an acceptance. God, I, you paid the price to bring me out of here. I accept it. Bring me out of my sin. So that's the first thing. If we haven't repented, we need to repent. The second thing is, if you have repented, then we need to do realize that we, there's two parts of salvation real quick. There's us, our salvation, our personal salvation. And each one of us has to come to that on our own. You can't save someone else, right? Like, I could do everything in the world and my buddy, Ted, goes to hell. Why? Because Ted has to make that decision. There's a personal aspect to repent for the kingdom is at hand. But then there's a second aspect which is much bigger than any of us. It's the kingdom. It's the full salvation of the whole world. Adam was cursed, and because of Adam's curse, the ground was cursed. The creation was cursed. In fact, Paul talks about the, the, um, the creation is groaning, waiting for the reveal of the sons of men, of sons of God. And so this understanding that it's a whole thing. You get to Genesis, or Revelation 21 and 22. The focus turns away from everything that's been going on and it shows the creation fully, fully restored. And so we need to realize that we are a part of this rebuilding of the kingdom. You've, ex you've accepted Jesus as your Savior. you repented. Guess what? You are now a kingdom. And I love the... the this comes... Okay, so one, the first person Jesus calls to is Peter. Right? He calls to Peter. Come, follow me. I love this, this verse in, in Peter's first letter. 
I'm actually doing a study on Peter, and so it's, I just happened upon this verse. I just love this verse. This comes from uh, Peter chapter 2. And Peter says this, As you come to Him, talking about Jesus, as you come to Him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to Him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices accepted to God through Jesus Christ. Our role in the kingdom is to be living stones, is to be built into this thing. I just want to just think of that imagery of the living stone. One, it's a stone. It's Maybe it was cut from a piece of rock, right? I love that imagery. Cut from a piece of rock. What is that? That's sin. We're cut away from sin. And we're being placed into the kingdom. We have to be shaped and we have to be cut so that, you know, and that's that, um, use these big theological terms now. This is that sanctification, being cut and pruned and put into. This is that life of the cutting away of sin in our lives and being placed into. But it's interesting, he says living stones. These aren't dead things. And what is our job in this big kingdom? Isn't it the point back to Christ? The living stone? A lot of times in our walks we think, okay, I'm saved, I'm good. Well, you're, you are, but you have a purpose now. You're that living stone. You're that, that point that we're examples now of the overarching work of God. That God does individual things, and then He takes us and He puts us up and He says, Look at what I did. Look at what I cut. Look what I'm building. And we are a part of that. And our job is to say, yeah, look what God has done. I didn't do this. I didn't cut myself out of sin. I didn't shape myself. That's God's doing. And I am one of the living stones throughout all of history that God has cut and built into His kingdom. And that's our job. And so when Jesus says the kingdom is at hand, our echo should be, and I got in because of the grace of God. And it should be pointing others, you need to come in by the grace of God. Because there will come a time when people can't. And the language that Jesus uses in Matthew is the weeping and gnashing of teeth. And I don't know if you've ever, whoops, I don't know if you've ever been in a place where you just are so distraught. And it's just, you, I don't know if you've, like, dug your hands into yourself, you know, but just this, I'm so angry, I'm so upset, I'm so distraught. And you just start grinding on your teeth. Because it, it's like, I need, I just want to fill it. And this idea of weeping and just being upset 
to the extreme because a death happened. And it was my death. Apart from God. It's the death of the person. And it's the realization of that complete separation. And so, my challenge for you this week is twofold. One, if you haven't accepted Jesus as your Savior, there needs to be repentance. There has to be repentance. Without the confession of sins, there is no salvation. It's just, it's just what it is. If you've done that, then you move into the second part. How good of a stone have I been? Have I allowed God to shape me? Am I fitting my place? Because I love the imagery of stones because it's not just the stone that's there. What does a stone do? Have you ever, you know, go, go back into grade school for a moment. Remember the, the Roman roads and the Roman um, arches and things like that and how they would build, the, they would put those stones and then they put that one stone in the middle. It's a V stone. Anyone ever remember this? I don't know. I like I the, I always loved the Romans, and so I always remembered this one thing. They put this last stone. It's a V, not exactly a V, but pretty V-ish, and the whole thing would rest on there. Stones support each other. We build each other up, and you know, throughout the entire New Testament, there's this understanding of building each other, encouraging each other, helping each other out. Am I doing my stone job? Pointing people to the stone builder and helping my other brothers and sisters be strengthened in the Lord. There's a lot of imagery, a lot of things that we can talk about here. But so my challenge for you this week is, one, if you haven't repented, go before God. I repent of my sin. And I praise you because of Jesus' death on the cross. Because that's the thing. That is the cure. You know, I loved it when, um, when, when I would be doing something. It could be at work, like when I was doing construction, and people would say, okay, we need to get this done, right? And it's like, yeah, but did you know you have to do all these other things first? Right? And I remember it was, we were working on this, um, this Walmart big old Walmart, and it was in the middle of summer, and it's, on, it's in Vacaville, off of I-80, so I can tell you exactly where it is. Uh, <laughs> worst summer ever. Way, better, way worse than this. Um, and you know what I did all day long? No. I sat in the middle of the, the roof, on top, in the middle of the sun, and I had to do a jig. No, I didn't do a jig. I didn't dance. Um, but I had a jig, okay, and I would put two pieces of metal together, and I would put three screws in. I did that, I think it was two weeks. And they were just, this all it was. It looked like that. And they would take that, and they would go over to the end, and they would screw it into another part. Well, there was another person out there with me doing a different style. And I think there was like... I think they said somewhere around like 3,000 of these. Just because they wanted the look of a peak on the end. And it was like, 
just to figure out this jig. It took like a day to figure out the exact angle that it needed to be. And that one act set up everything else. That is the cross. The one act of the cross makes everything else reality. We couldn't have salvation. We couldn't even repent without the cross because it covers us. His body's broken for us. His blood spilt so ours doesn't have to be. He takes the punishment that we are deserving. And all I have to do is accept. I just repent. I just say, God, I have sinned. I have done the things that you have called me not to do, and I did those. I hold on to anger, and I hold on to my, my desire for self, and I do all these things that is opposite of you. I repent. And so just this understanding that I need to repent and accept the grace of the cross, what Jesus did. That's the first half of the challenge. Second half is to go before God and say, God, how am I doing as a stone? Am I being shaped the right way? Am I pointing to you as a great kingdom builder? Am I lifting up my brothers and sisters in encouragement and helping them when I, wherever you would have me help them? Am I doing the job of the stone that you have called me to do? And so this understanding of the kingdom and understanding that I am, I am a part of this, this great kingdom work that God is doing, should motivate us to say, I don't care what's going on in the world. And if the world continues at the breakneck speed it is, the kingdom is going to be restored quicker than if not. And if that's the reality, if the kingdom's right around the corner, that means there's a lot of people that will be in the weeping and gnashing of teeth and I don't know about you, I don't want to see anyone in that position. But that means that we have to take every opportunity to point people back to Christ. If God brings that opportunity to us, we need to see it and grab it and say, Spirit, do what you need to do. I'm ready. And so, if we can do this, I mean... Who cares about the heat at that point? Right? The old joke? It's hotter in hell. Right? Let's point people away from that eternal destination to the eternal destination of Christ. Sound good? Alright, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you because of the great work that you did through your son Jesus just by sending him to begin this work in us. Father, I ask if there's anyone in here that does not know you, that they would be pressed on. Their heart, their mind would be just pressed on by you. That they would feel that movement of the need to repent. Father, I know that there are things in my life, even now, even though I have salvation, that full salvation, I know that there are things in my life that I still need to repent of. Not that it keeps me from salvation, but just it keeps me from full fellowship. So Lord, help me to do that. Help me to repent of those things. And Father, I pray for us as a community of believers that we would be cut into the stones that you would have so that we could point others to the kingdom work that you are doing. 
Lord, I pray for the people of our town, of our nation, of our world that don't know you, that they would hear the gospel, that they would turn from their sins and turn to you, and that when on that day when the gates closed of the kingdom, that we would rejoice for all those that were saved, that we didn't even know we're going to be. And so, Lord, I praise you for your work. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen.